to Parapod's City of Parramatta Libraries podcast. So I'm Catherine and I'm here with my colleague Nissa. Hello. And look, today we've got a real rip-snorting um, edition. We're looking at Australian non-fiction, but um, actually really interesting reads. Nissa, explain what we're going to be talking about. Yeah, sure. Uh, first of all, I just wanted to say we're also recording again from the lovely Wentworth Point facility. We're very happy to be here again. Oh yeah, and this room is awesome. It is, definitely. Yeah, you can book this music room. You can, mu music practice room indeed, yes. Oh. Um, so check it out. Okay, back to the point. Uh, so the topic for today is going to be summer reads. This is the third episode, the third and last episode in our mm -hmm. summer series, and we're going to be talking, as Catherine said, about Australian non-fiction. The first book we're looking at is Buckley's Chance, the incredible true story of William Buckley and how he conquered a new world by the journalist Gary Linnell. Um, and it was published by Michael Joseph, which is an imprint of Penguin Random House in October 2019. The next book we'll be looking at is uh, incredibly topical, actually, uh, Dark Emu. So it's Dark Emu, Aboriginal Australia and the Birth of Agriculture, published by uh, Magabala Books. Apologies if that's not correct. Uh, in June 2018. Uh, so that, that book... Um, Dark Emu is actually the latest version of the original book which was published which was published in 2014 called Dark Emu Black Seeds Agriculture or Accident. Um, after that we'll be talking at Young Dark Emu a truer history. Mm -hmm. uh, also by Bruce Pascoe. Sorry, I should have mentioned that before. It's it's by Bruce Pascoe both of those books. So it's the younger version of that also published by Magabella Books in June 2019, and that's aimed at uh, those ages 10 and above. After that, we'll look at the book Tracks, which celebrates its 40th anniversary this year, and that was by Robin Davidson. The version we're looking at is, uh, it was published by Bloomsbury in November 2017, but it was originally published in 1980 by Jonathan Cape. Finally, we'll just have a quick look at uh, the Macquarie Atlas of Indigenous Australia, uh, the second edition, uh, which was published in August 2019, and it was edited by Bruce, uh, Bill Arthur sorry, and Francis Morphy, um, and it was a collaborative publication of the ANU, ABS and Macquarie Dictionary. So that's the plan, looking at several of these books uh, for our non-fiction Australian reads. Catherine, over to you, as usual, Buckley's Chance. Oh, thanks, Nissa. Well, uh, we've got a lot to get through, as you can uh, can see. Well, look, um, Australia Day is coming up. Um, now, Australia Day means different things to different people, but, um, you know, you've got the first Australians, the, fir the first people, you've got the different waves of immigration. So when you look on the website, you can see that, you know, Australia's in a good place in terms of being multicultural and, and um, you know, sort of having, I think, a society that has got a lot to be proud of. But looking back and learning from the past is always a really good thing. So um, Buckley's Chance, that, that title actually is a phrase in Australian, you know, um, well, it's a slang. Yeah. 
phrase actually. But it, but funnily enough, it actually means that you don't have any chance. But this Buckley was an actual historic character, Nissa, and um, this particular Buckley. Um, now his first name William was, was William Buckley, and um, he fought. He was obviously a British convict. He fought in the, the Napoleonic Wars. He was um, transported to Australia as so many thousands of convicts were. You had you had a British system in, in, that was so punitive that uh, William Buckley like basically was uh, imprisoned, was, was sentenced to life as a convict in Australia for, you know, sort of taking a couple of rolls of cloth, I understand, and, you know, people were... In, in, in that time, the Mad King George was the king at the time and he had sort of no truck with the ordinary people. They, they weren't even really considered as almost human beings. It was quite an appalling state of affairs, so the aristocracy ran amok and ruled. But anyway, you know, as, as like all accidents in history, you know, you have um, a small beginning, you have convicts coming to this country and then, you know, you have a society that evolves. But that is not to dismiss the, um, the, the people that were here previously, the first people. And actually Buckley gets to Australia and escapes. He is like a, a sort of young man who's is very tall in statue, um, you know, he's um, very imposing, but he was a very sort of daring and brave sort of man. So he escaped out into the bush. It's an incredible story. That, uh, Gary Linnett, um, Linnell, uh, beg your pardon, is actually a, an amazing journalist because he doesn't just incorporate Buckley's story, but like a, a whole history of Australia um, and not just Australia from the first fleet period, but the first peoples. You know, he actually describes the other first fleet, which was about 300 people who pushed off from probably somewhere like East Timor or West Timor and arrived at, on the northern part of Australia. Oh, wow. So he actually describes the, the history of the first, the first Australians. So were they European, the people who pushed off that you said? No, no. They were, they were the indigenous people, uh -huh. the Australian Aborigines. Sure. Okay, wow. They were the, the origin of that, of that um, culture that for, um, what, 60,000 years has inhabited Australia? Um, so long before the first fleeters, but but actually, um, it's it's a, one of those reads that is um, like all encompassing. It describes so many characters who had something to do with the first colonies, like for example, even uh, Charles Darwin and the Journey of the Beagle. So if you buy into this book. You will have absolutely hours of fascinating um, information wow. that involves, you know, the history of Australia, um, the First Fleet onwards, the history of William Buckley, which is really interesting. He was a, a survivor. He was 30 years um, in the bush. He was actually um, saved basically by an Indigenous tribe, you know, who's married to an Indigenous woman. He had at least, you know, one or several children. And... Uh, somehow, you know, after this 30 years, came in contact with white people and made contact and miraculously was able to 
re um, reemerge, I suppose, into a white society, which oh, wow. must have been really hard. He wound up his his uh, his life finished in Hobart where he had a family. He was an absolute master of reinvention. You know how in the 21st century reinvention is a real thing. <laughs> but that's nothing new. And people are doing that for millennia, haven't they? Wow. So that's an interesting European perspective, that particular book. And yeah, wow. it is. Um, it's a new era of Australian uh, storytelling. That's the way this book is spruced. But it's um, it does describe like the bitter clashes and cultural wars that the Indigenous people have. Um, you know, there's the, what, what happened in the colony, and it's um, just a great read. Nissa, enough from me. Yeah, no, well, actually, we have to still go back to you. Okay. We're doing something a bit different. Um, Dark Emu, the adult version, you're going to talk about that next. Love this book. Bruce Pascoe, a larger-than-life uh, Australian... Um, well, he's a farmer, he's a historian, he's a really celebrated and orator... He's a big, tall, bearded guy who published this book, as you said, Nissa, in 2014, and it hasn't been out of print. It sold oh, 100,000 copies, I think. And um, um, Bruce Pascoe is always in demand as a, a public speaker, and he's got a lot to say. You know, he, he's a, he actually... It's very timely. I mean, this book is... Um, an argument that he proposes to refute the uh, the tag of hunter-gatherers, mm -hmm. which I suppose white colonial and um, Australian historians have tagged Indigenous culture as well, being. Well, that's what we've learnt at like school and university. That That is oh. the one that we've learnt, the hunter-gatherer sort of idea of Aboriginal people, and it's quite interesting that he's given oh. like a different perspective. Yeah, well, his perspective is interesting too because it, he quotes throughout the book diaries and um, uh, accounts and reports of explorers, of the early explorers like, you know, Mitchell and, um, you know, just um, really the, he's taken the words of people who aren't Indigenous people, but they're, they're the, um, the invaders, as it were, or the, the new settlers. Yeah, and the book was updated in 2018. I gather that's the version that you've read as well, and I think it's been a little bit in the news uh, these days too, mm. which is why it's such a topical, um, such a topical book. And I think we were talking about it earlier, and you mentioned that it, it won two New South Wales Premier Literary Awards in the same year. I think one for an Indigenous book and one for just a, um, a general book. And it was nominated by the public um, for the inaugural Parliamentary Book Club as well. I think it had the most nominations. So there's this groundswell of support for it. It's, it's a quite a popular book. It's in the news. There's a bit of controversy, of course, because there are certain elements and certain people in positions of power who don't agree with it and uh, whatnot. But it's definitely something that's very topical. It's been acclaimed. Um, I mean, look, you know, some of um, Bruce Pascoe's claims, I don't know, they might, you know, sound as if they're exaggerated, but you know, to me, it really rings true. I mean, you know, he even um, credits the, the first people for basically inventing democracy and uh, sort of uh, egalitarian societies, which I think is basically quite true. I mean, you know, you've, the Indigenous people have always extorted um, other, you know, um, white Australians, you know, not to fight over land. I mean, land is communally owned. Um, there's like a deep connection to the land. Land has been sustainably, um, you know, farmed and because they did. 
farm the land. They did have engineering projects, they had water and irrigation and dam projects. So it was a society that was complex in many, many ways. And it's interesting, at least it's it's an interesting perspective. It contributes to the, the academic argument by building up on resources and stuff like that. So mm. if, if nothing else, for the fact that it gives us a fresh perspective at looking at history, I think it's, it's, it's interesting for that alone. And I think that's probably mm. why it attracted so many people towards it. Um, I wanted to quickly talk about uh, the... The children's the version. The children's version. Dark yes. e- young Dark Emu, A Truer History. Um, so that book was published in June 2019. It's a little bit more popular. Uh-huh. Uh, well, sorry, a little bit more recent. Um, and that is actually on the Premier's Reading Challenge list for those of you who have, um, you know, younger oh, children or younger listeners. So Indeed. it's the Premier's Reading Challenge 7 to 9. Uh, so that's an interesting book that uh, people mm-hmm. can read with their children or the children on their own. Um what I found really interesting about the book is that it wasn't pulling any punches. Um, you know, there was no sugarcoating about the argument that the author wanted to make. Um, so uh, there was a there was a sentence there. Um, but the colonisers had no intention of respecting Aboriginal law, and wholesale war broke out. Um, so it's not wishy-washy. They just say, look, the co- the colonisers did wrong, basically, um, and this is what they they did wrong. Um, Sheep don't come off very well, which I found interesting. You think of Australia and the land where... I know know they say, like, New Zealand has more sheep than people, but back Mm. in the day, the sheep industry, like the wool industry, was a huge deal in Australia. But I didn't realise that... um, Australia rides on the sheep's back was the saying. Yeah, and all the sheep that were brought over, apparently they destroyed a lot of indigenous crops, such as yam daisies, cress, uh, native grasses... Um, and a lot of these native grasses, I think researchers estimate that over 140 grasses were harvested by Aboriginal people. And a lot of them were used to make things like um, like for their grain and make bread. And uh, it was just interesting and how much... And yeah, like... It, quite edible foodstuffs. Yeah, and they had their own way of like um, farming and I think there was an interesting description somewhere. Uh, like, you know how those um, paintings that were done back in the day by the, the very early um, explorers in Australia? Mm. And it was an Australian environment, but uh, when it's described in an art book, the description underneath is usually, oh, look, they imagined... Um, it's set in Australia, but they imagined an English scene, which is why you've got... Um, you know, uh, what looks like farms and um, harvests and stuff like that. But the argument I think the author makes is that, no, actually, that was true. He wasn't superimposing um, a British a British scene on an Australian environment. That is what it looked like because mm-hmm. these places were farmed. They had evidence of farming and, um, you know, things that you wouldn't normally associate with mm. Aboriginal people. Um, and yeah, was... well, farming implements have been found definitely... And really, and it has been up until recently quite dismissed. Yeah, and aqua, um, sorry, aqua, agri- um, aquaculture, aquaculture is that the right term? With yeah. fishing traps and stuff, that was a big. There was evidence of that, um, and he uses, like you said, a lot of evidence, not just of indigenous uh, mm. sources, but you know, a lot of European ones as well. People like Charles Sturt, like a lot of what they said about uh, the practices that they. Um, saw he he uses that to construct this argument and this sort of different version of history and i i really like how he does that in this book it's aimed mm. at a younger audience but he's not 
his yeah, it's not wishy washy, which is what I like. His his matter of fact is like, yep, this is what happened. This is the version of history that is. Yes, it may not be pleasant, or it may not be the version that you've heard elsewhere, but this is the argument as I as I see it, and this is the yeah. evidence that I've got. So I I yeah, I really like it. It's totally worth checking out. I think. Um, yeah, look, definitely, both versions are absolutely amazing. And, you know, it's it's quite timely, you know, with um, the bushfires, the fact that Australia has to become more sustainable. Um, Bruce Pascoe says, we're facing a pivotal, pivotal moment, pivotal moment of history, and we will think of this era of change in Australia. And this is the moment um, that we change our minds about this country and how we, um, you know, uh, treat this country. And this is, he says, the moment when we will become real Australians, when, you know, we can respect our country in the way that the Indigenous people did for so many years. Definitely, yeah. Mm. And just last thing I'd say, the best thing about Young Dark Emu is also the artwork. I think people will enjoy looking at the artwork yeah, uh, while they're also reading it? the book. Yeah. Going on to okay. Tracks. Oh, so tracks. tracks is a book you wanted to talk about, Catherine, uh, 40 years this mm. year. You know what, Nissa? I absolutely loved this book when I first read it um, some years ago. And, um, you know, it just tells the story of uh, Robin Davidson, its biography, as a young woman who goes up to Darwin where a lot is happening in the 1970s in Darwin because uh, the land rights movement is beginning. Uh, you know, Indigenous people are not being treated very well at all by their, you know, their brethren, their, uh, their other Darwinians. They're um, really treated as second-class citizens. And um, Robin Davidson makes a point of, of, you know, sort of commenting, you know, her observation of that period is really, really interesting. But in any event, she stays there for some, some time. She learns um, how to uh, manage um, a herd of camels. And her um, dream is, it's a quest novel. It's a quick, uh, sorry, non-fiction uh, autobiography. So it's a story about her wishing to be free and wishing to make this journey from Darwin uh, across the desert to the coast, okay, to Western Australia, basically. And in, indeed, she does it, and she does it on her own. It's a solo journey, apart from a, a small section when she has Eddie, an Indigenous man, uh, sort of accompany her. Um, but um, he sort of stops off at a certain point. But he does he does teach her things more by not uh, so much, you know, it's not in a didactic way, but, you know, she observes what Eddie is doing. She has little Diggity, her dog, you know, with her. It's just such an amazing story for its time. You know, it caught the imagination. It was all, almost mythic. Um, you know, there were news reports about sightings of this <laughs> woman on uh, leading, you know, a um, team of of camels on horseback, uh, on sort of camelback. And uh, actually the photographs that uh, Rick uh, Smolin from the National Ge Geographic took are absolutely astonishing. They are mythic. You know, just just look at them within the book. And the most recent edition actually has some photographs of uh, Robin and Rick together. So the story is a quest. It's a journey. It's a challenge story. It's kind of a bit of a love story. And 
There was a 2013 movie edition as well, right? We've got yeah. the DVD in the library, I believe, with um, the Australian actress Mia Wasikowska. Yeah, that's a, actually a decent version Adam of Driver, tracks. I think. Adam Driver, the guy from um, the TV series Girls, Girls. and his uh, Ben Solo and all the, the Star Wars movies. Yeah. I think he plays the photojournalist you just mentioned. He does. Um, yeah, that was a really decent version. Um, but this book has, has been in print forever, since the 1980s. You know, that women that read it um, years ago give it to their children. It's just one of those really inspiring stories about a woman, like a young woman, I think she was about 25, who just um, went out there and did it. But it's a story of such courage and, and daring. It's just, and it's, it's true. Got to read it. <laughs> and, yeah, and some of the ways you can read it. The library, of course, has the paperback versions um, and it has large print versions, but it also has um, both the e-audio. Oh, no. Oh, actually, with Dark Emu, I meant to say that um, Dark Emu we've got as an e-audio and e-book through BorrowBox, so do check that out uh, via the BorrowBox app. Um, Tracks is available as an ebook through BorrowBox as well. Um, and of course, we have the DVD uh, for the 2013 movie. I also wanted to say the National Geographic article, the one that uh, the, hmm. the, the guy, I'm sorry, what was his name again? The photojournalist you mentioned. Rick Smolin. Yeah, so the, the article that he was writing, it was uh, for um, a the National Geographic, I think it was May 1978, mm -hmm. that issue. Um, and you can actually access that through our catalogue. So if you go in the catalogue, if you type National Geographic Virtual Library, um, and then click on the link which says click here to access this online resource. It will take you to uh, the National Geographic uh, Library. You need to put in your Parramatta Library card and then just search for May 1978 and the actual May 17, 1978 uh, issue with her on the cover feeding her camel, that will come up. So you can totally check the original National Geographic article out. Mm. So that's just another tip for everyone nice. out there. So yeah, going to check that out. And um, hey, look, thanks for being here today. Um, we've got, oh, I'm sorry, we've got a little bit more to go. The Macquarie Atlas. Yeah, just Nissa, like, do tell. quickly, just before we finish, the Macquarie Atlas of Indigenous Australia is this um, beautiful atlas that uh, was published by the Australian National University, the Australian Bureau of Statistics and Macquarie Dictionary uh, using sources that are Indigenous and non-Indigenous ones, so government ones and Indigenous resources. And it was published in August 2019. Um, it highlights a lot of issues uh, in Indigenous studies and it's divided into three themes, social cultural space, socio-economic space and socio-political space. Um, and it's got lots of diagrams, illustrations, maps, and it's just a great resource, I think, for school, particularly for school, but also can mm. be used for um, university studies or just general reading uh, for learning about Indigenous Australia. So I would highly recommend that. It is borrowable. I think we may also have a reference version as well. We definitely have mm. a lending copy uh, that we would recommend everyone yeah, check out. It's got a beautiful cover. I just it love is. it, the artwork on it. Beautiful. So Macquarie Atlas of Indigenous Australia, the second edition, 2019. Do check that out. Yeah, in our Indigenous collection in the library. So, uh, Nissa, 
I think we're going to say goodbye. Thank you so much for listening. And Lisa, tell people how to find our podcast. Yeah, so you can find our podcast by, podcast by going to the Podbean app or Podbean website and looking for Para Pods. You can go to our blog, Para Reads, and find this podcast there. You can also go to the iTunes podcast app on Apple and just put in Parapods and you'll find this episode. So we'll talk to you next time with another great episode. Yeah, absolutely. Bye. See ya. Material presented in this podcast is for general information only. Any opinions expressed in the podcast are those of the guest speaker who do not necessarily represent the views of City of Parramatta Council. City of Parramatta Council is not responsible for any injury, loss or damage which you may directly or indirectly suffer in connection with this podcast.